You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. With me today, I've got Carmi Levy out of Toronto. Thanks for joining me, Carmi. So great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. We've got a really interesting program. A lot of talk about uh, AI on this uh, show, artificial intelligence. And there are things that we all need to be aware of. One of them is how much electricity use is AI taking up in the world? AI is in everything. It's in autonomous vehicles. It's in our computers with things like ChatGPT, MidJourney.io, the uh, the image uh, engine, and God, millions of other uses. You would be blown away at how much electricity is already being used for AI. We've got a cool guest. His name's uh, Arun Iyengar. He is uh, with a Toronto startup. He's a CEO there uh, called Untether AI. And he's going to tell us how much of a problem the energy usage is and what he's doing and others to try to fix that. We'll also be chatting about Spotify. They're one of the biggest music streaming services. You can pay 10 bucks a month and have access to millions of songs on any device. But they have an issue with the sheer amount of songs being uploaded and fake streaming. Did you know that every single day, on average, 100,000 songs are being uploaded to Spotify. It's staggering. Well, we'll tell you uh, what's happening with AI, because as you can imagine, AI is making a lot of that music, and there's a lot of fake streaming going on. And we'll tell you what they're doing to combat that as well. But let's get into some of the news, Carmi. And this is kind of uh, interesting. Wendy's are experimenting with AI chatbots for drive through orders. What could go wrong? <laughs> uh, everything you think? I, I think everything. I like, I, and I say this as the parent of two of our kids. Our sons worked for years at the local Tim Hortons uh, to get through high school, had a little extra spending money, and so they worked the drive-through. They've experienced it. It was probably the low light of the experience for them. It's the hardest role. It's the one that no one really likes. Uh, the employees don't enjoy it, and frankly, most of us don't enjoy driving through the drive through You can't hear what they're saying. Um, you know, you, you get to the front and, and they've gotten your order completely wrong. Uh, you know, there's a lot, my kids reported a lot of rudeness in, in the line as well. It's just a the kind of role that nobody enjoys. And so it, it that makes it ripe for a placement by artificial intelligence, by a chatbot. And so Wendy's is introducing it uh, in a test location in the U.S. And they're, they're, they're using um, a cloud-based pa- uh, platform that asks questions, asks what you're ordering, uh, takes your order, and then shares that order with the kitchen so that your food can be made. So there's still people working there making the food. It only replaces the individual at at the actual window. The individual that you would normally speak to through the speaker, that is now a chatbot. Uh, and and the, what they're saying is Wendy's has traditionally lagged the industry in its accuracy of drive-through lane orders. They're at about 79%. The industry is at about 85%. Um, the, as we know, lots of folks, you know, they're having trouble uh, finding enough people to work at these restaurants. Uh, so if technology helps them bridge the gap and boost that up to, uh, you know, make it more likely that you're going to get what you ordered, um, it kind of answers a whole lot of questions. It, it resolves a whole lot of problems. Can't find the employees. Employees hire on, don't want to do it, uh, aren't doing it as, as well as they probably should. Uh, and, you know, this is what I, uh, AI was invented for, is find a gap and exploit it. Uh, and Wendy's is starting small, uh, but it's obviously if this technology works for them. I think it's only a matter of time. And in fact, the uh, the CEO of the company that's providing the technology 
um, it's known as presto automation. He says that within three to five years, he doesn't expect anyone to be physically working a drive-through window, that this automation could take over that role pretty quickly. I, I can see that, Carmi. I'm, I'm a little torn. I, I do like humans, and I, I am concerned about, obviously, the job and opportunity loss, uh, you know, for, especially for a lot of, you know, young kids starting out that, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of their first job. At the same time, I think a chatbot might be better <laughs> in a lot of cases. Um, I, you know, when I go through drive throughs they, they get my order wrong a lot. And I think mm-hmm. I'm pretty clear. So it'll be interesting to see how a chatbot would kind of figure in that whole thing. Like how adaptable are they? Oh, yeah. And I think there will be. The interesting thing is, is that there still will be a human in the building who will be overseeing the chatbot's operation. So if things don't go well, if if uh, if the chatbot isn't isn't, you know, isn't able to understand what's going on, the human can always jump in and kind of take over. Uh, But this is the way it is with all forms of automation. McDonald's introduced ordering kiosks in its restaurants a couple of years back, and it has evolved them pretty quickly, really investing in the technology. It makes for a more fluid experience. And I think, you know, in the post post-pandemic era, uh, you know, we want to be able to get our food, get it quickly, get it accurately, and not have to go back and, and see someone to, 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 to make it right. And so I think if this streamlines the process of being served, I think everybody would, would agree it's a good thing. And if it frees those kids who are looking for those first jobs from a part of the role that they're, quite frankly, not really big fans of in the first place, and it lets them work front of store instead of back of store, then uh, I think they would also go for that as well. I was talking to my kids when this story first broke, uh, and they said they'd probably be more likely to work uh, at a restaurant like that if technology like this were in place. Uh, they would that's find that a lot more interesting. Exactly. And also because they're the generation that's going to be working with AI through much of their career. So what better opportunity than to start working with it early on as you enter the workforce, and then you grow with it as the technology improves. I'd love if they built that technology into, you know, McDonald's now has those giant touchscreen kiosks. I hate them. Yeah. I hate them because (laughs) it honestly, it takes like four times longer to order your food because you're just like, you know, going through all these different menus when I could just go to a human and like quarter pounder cheese meal with a Coke. You know that, assume, that, assume, that, that assumes the human understands you, and nine times out of ten, the human doesn't <laughs> understand me, and the technology doesn't. And I come from a family, we're a bunch of really picky eaters, so everybody wants extra this and remove that on their sandwich, which, which of course, as you know, McDonald's doesn't really tolerate well, but the software does. And so ever since we switched to the kiosks, when I go out to pick dinner up at McDonald's or something and I bring it home... Uh, we have not had any what I like to call failures. Uh, everyone always gets what they want because <laughs> the software is making mistakes that people do. So this is where I'm going to politely agree with you because McDonald's, especially compared to other restaurants that are using that similar in-store kiosk technology, McDonald's software is actually really, really well designed. It seems to adapt really well. It almost anticipates your, your next move. I would say if you work for another restaurant considering implementing this technology, go look at what McDonald's has built and then hire the same software developers because you literally can't go wrong. And I think that really is the future of the fast food experience. I still hate them. <laughs> the kiosk, not McDonald's. Uh, let's look on another story here. Uh, we've talked about this. The European Union is mandating that all device manufacturers adhere to the one single connector standard, which is USB-C. That's kind of the smaller little reversible plug. All Android phones have them iPhones still are using Lightning, uh, so mm-hmm. you know it looks like Apple will have to switch over to the USB-C standard uh, coming soon. 
but mm. I guess the EU is warning Apple not to lock down the USB-C iPhones. Yeah, Apple's been really quiet since the EU handed down their mandate last year. They complained a little bit at the at the beginning, saying, you know, basically they they don't believe in it, uh, that they'd still rather sell Lightning, that they feel it will stifle innovation. But they, then they went silent. And there's been growing speculation that Apple is going to grudgingly start including USB-C ports uh, with its next generation iPhones. A lot of their, uh, you know, MacBooks already have them. iPad Pros already have them. So Apple already has it in some of its devices. Why not move it all the way over? Um, but there's there's speculation. A lot of insiders are are saying that there are rumors that Apple's going to include the physical hardware so that it supports USB charging and syncing. But um, if you want to have the absolute fastest charging capability, uh, they're going to make sure that it only supports the made for iPhone or MFI program. So basically, you'll have to buy a special Apple USB-C cable uh, that is made for iPhone uh, in order to support the fastest charging speeds. And if you if you don't buy an MFI cable, well, then you're just going to, you know, charge at the slower speeds, just like everyone else who, you know, doesn't have the extra budget. Uh, and the European Union actually went so far, the commissioner sent a letter to Apple saying, if you do that, if you incorporate some kind of proprietary technology in your USB implementation, we're going to have a problem or we're going to ban you from being able to sell iPhones in the EU. So oh, don't oh, they're talking tough with the standard. They're talking oh, tough. Yeah, they, yeah. You don't mess with the EU. Like they, 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 have, they have a mandate, and and if you do, like they, they, uh, they find Google two billion dollars for violating GDPR. I mean, like this is the EU sets the tone for tech-related legislation around the world, and so if it's going to have teeth, uh, they're going to have to follow it up with really serious enforcement. And they've shown over the last few years uh, they don't take any guff from big tech, and they're certainly not going to get pushed around by Apple. So Apple hasn't responded. But it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I'm waiting for the iPhone 15 to come out uh, in September because that's really going to, then we'll be able to tell, did Apple bow or are they challenging back? It's going to be an interesting battle. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, Spotify's AI problem. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Spotify, one of the biggest music and audio podcast streaming services uh, in the world. They have an AI problem, and this is kind of interesting. You can, as an artist, create songs and upload it to Spotify and uh, get some some money for that. Royalties. Yeah, what could go, what could go wrong? Well, know? AI, that's what's uh, going wrong here. And I, I didn't realize this, but 100,000 new songs every day are being uploaded, and a huge chunk of that, as you can imagine, is AI-generated. And so recently... Spotify has removed tens of thousands of AI-generated songs. Uh, this is from a company called Boomi, and they're they're taking them down because this company, Boomi, uh, allegedly is also using bots to boost the streaming numbers as well because you can upload all the music, but if no one's listening to it, you're not going to make any money. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of enterprising companies and people have found ways to kind of artificially do that yeah it's uh uh you know the, i'm a you know i'm a spotify subscriber have been for years love the service uh music is you know essentially always on in the background somewhere in my house um but you know this honestly leaves me cold uh i think about ai generated music where it's turned into not so much a pursuit of the art of you know 
vision of getting to know the driving revenue. And, and of course, AI was going to be the technology that unlocked that capability. Of course, AI was going to come with a whole bunch of moral and ethical issues around that kind of use. And I'm actually unpleasantly surprised that this early in AI's public availability, we're already seeing tools like Boomi, which it's basically almost like a, like an AI music generation dashboard. Um, and it, you know, you can, you can, you know, pick a genre, pick a beat, and then play with it and modify it and create your own with no musical capability whatsoever. And then share it on, on, uh, on Spotify and create your own channels, uh, even if you're not a band or an artist. Um, and what unpleasantly surprises me is just how quickly that has taken root to the point that users on the platform have already created 14 million songs, and the company estimates that accounts for just under 14% of all the world's recorded music. Think about that. Carmi, that's it's awful. Been around. That's awful. It is. It is. This, this service has been around for two years. Arguably, AI has been kind of on the, the sort of the top of the consumer agenda for the last six months or so since ChatGPT kind of hit. Uh, and now already, you know, over one in eight of all songs in existence uh, are AI generated, which I think should horrify us and alarm us because we're we're rushing forward with this without really understanding the ethical uh, sort of concerns or, or ripples of this. What about, you know, where AI is trained on songs that are already out there created by artists who didn't want any part of this? Uh, you know, Grimes, for example, she says that you know, take my songs and and uh, as long as you pay me half the royalties, just go ahead, do whatever you want with AI. But most, and she's the exception. Most other artists are saying, I created this. It has artistic integrity. Don't play with it. You know, that Drake the Weeknd compilation that neither of them had anything to do with, that should have turned on alarm bells in all of us because it basically means anyone who creates any kind of music is now at risk of losing control of that when some amateur with an AI dashboard in front of them basically takes it and creates something quote unquote new and then distributes it using a using a platform like Spotify and then makes money off of it. Welcome to the new age. And and, and there's no law that says it's illegal, uh, but it's a, a scary place to be. And quite frankly, uh, I, 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 I shudder to think about what happens next. Yeah. I mean, when you're punching out that much music using artificial intelligence, it's hard, right? Like, at what point is it not? I guess I'm having a problem because it wasn't created by humans. But then I think, yeah. well, a lot of the music that we hear, a lot of it is digitally enhanced. You know, they're using drumbeat machines or do you know what I mean? Like GarageBand, yeah, for example. Yeah, but you know, and and it's you know, and it's funny. I've I've had that. I'm a I'm a fan of of you know EDM, electronic dance music. So it was so you know, everyone have a good laugh. But no, um, and and I've heard the criticism of you know music that's created with synthesizers and computers and all that. That you know it isn't really music. That's what the critics say. But the reality is, if you stand over the shoulders of an ED of a, a an e, like a composer in the EDM space, um, you know they're simply using different instruments. But it's very much a human who's behind that process. So you know, if I watch a Morgan Page or a David Guetta um, or an Armin Van Buren, like where they sit behind their console and they're pulling in samples from all over the place, but they're deciding how everything gets created and built, and they they can build it right to the break, and it's it, you can tell that it's driven by the human creative process. And that each individual artist has their own approach to it. Well, that's a form of art. Whatever we call it, we can agree or disagree. We like, we don't like, but it's a form of art. When it's someone who's simply using AI without an understanding of the craft, without an understanding of how music is built, 
um, uh, of that connection to the the listener between the artist and the listener, uh, then I think we've lost something. And so when I listen to an AI, a fully AI created created music where there is no human in the chain, uh, you know, I don't have that connection and that that you know with the individual artist because there isn't even an artist there to connect to. And you know, and, and I don't feel that warmth. And when I listen to say a New Order track, I, New Order has a whole history, uh, and and the song is part of that. And when you shift everything over to AI, you've lost that. You've lost that artistry. You've lost the humanity. And yes, it's technically music. It may even be good music. Some people might like it. But that, you know, that it is an art that is driven by humans, we have now lost that. Uh, and it is up to the industry to figure out how to navigate this because we are in some very thready territory right now. You know kids are going to be listening to this. Well, if they stumble across a podcast over the show 20 years from now and listen to us yabbering away uh, about <laughs> AI created audio, they're going to think we're stupid because oh, there, yeah. there'll probably be like entire artists that are completely artificially intelligent or created like everything right down to uh, their persona and just how they look in their video and everything. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And I, I, I in fact, I think that's inevitable. Uh, and and I and it, we're not going to stop it. You, Pandora's box can't be closed again. Once the horse is out of the barn, they're not going back in. It's just the way it works. It, it's one direction, and and there's no reverse on any of this. But the thing is, if if we're going to get the most out of it, in other words, if we're not going to lose what we've already built through hundreds of years of music and then recordings and concerts and you know creating a fan base and all that good stuff. They're going to have to figure out a framework that makes sense, that accommodates artificial intelligence, that recognizes the artistry uh, and still, you know, you know, does not allow it to be used as a force for not good. Um, you know, I've always seen music as a force, as a positive force. Under AI, that has to be the case. And we have to have frameworks in place. We have to have, you know, Recording Industry Association of America has to change its policies to be AI friendly, but also recognize that there needs to be human, some kind of human involvement so that people could still have careers in the music industry. We can find the balance, but we have to have the will to find the balance and we have to have elected so. officials who who get, you know, that need uh, yeah. and make sure that they represent their people accordingly. Well, uh, this story's not going away and we'll keep covering it in the weeks and months to come. When we come back from the break, AI, how much electricity is it taking up worldwide? You would be blown away. We'll talk about that and some of the things that can be done to solve that. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We are talking about uh, AI or artificial intelligence. It seems like uh, every show now, it's such a, a big story in the technology space and it's everywhere being used in uh, medical. We've got things like uh, chat GPT. We've got the image engines like Midjourney. But what are the energy costs for these AI models? We've got a great guest uh, with us today. His name is Arun Iyengar. Uh, he is uh, with a company called Untether AI and he's going to help us uh, understand how much energy is being used and what we can do about it. Thanks for uh, joining us, Arun. Thanks for having me, Mike. There's this one stat that you you sent me, and it was it was kind of alarming. Um, it basically estimated that uh, AI is using up one percent of the world's electricity. Is is that right? That is correct. That that I mean, <laughs> that that is astronomical. And they're estimating by the end of the decade, I guess in seven years here, fifteen to sixteen percent of the world's energy consumption will be. AI. It, that's a staggering amount, isn't it? 
that is a huge amount. The world's energy is not growing at that same pace. And <laughs> and then we have other, yeah, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of other technologies out there that are evolving uh, EVs, electric vehicles that we all have to contend with uh, as well. Um, I, I don't think we're, we've planned for this. Like what, what can we do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of these estimates are based on technology as we have today. And, Pretty much the energy consumption really comes down to the semiconductors, the chips that are being used to actually run AI. And, the, you know, it's, it's the energy to actually run the AI, but also the cooling that you need to do once you're running it. And so what, what we really have to move to is a technology that's different than the traditional approach that has been used by the chip vendors for the past 60 years. It's based on a really old paper that was written in the 40s. Right. And, and that's great for all the things that were done up, up until now, but it's actually terrible for AI because of the energy um, consumption that we're talking about here. Just so the listeners understand, when we're talking about this energy consumption and AI, AI basically runs off of computers and very powerful computers. And that's what's basically drawing all this uh, electricity. So you're saying the current state of, you know, how we have developed semiconductors is not necessarily the, the right way for this, this next kind of generation of tech. That's correct. You know, the, the approach that has been used today is based on, a technology called von Neumann. And this is something that essentially takes the memory on the outside and the processing on the inside. And and the connection there is with very long and narrow buses, which consumes a lot of energy. And so now you're taking a lot of data that you need because AI needs ton of data and you're moving it across lengths that essentially you know uh, burn power for no reason. And And what we can do instead is you know, if we put the memory and the processing right next to each other, the distance within the same chip, the distance it needs to travel is minuscule. And all of a sudden, the energy that's, you know, 90% wasted for moving data uh, can be harnessed to actually run AI. I just want to give some more scary numbers just to, <laughs> to highlight the issue here again. Um a paper from the University of Massachusetts, uh, Amherst, uh, has said that training a single AI model is equal to about 300,000 kilog- 300, kilograms of carbon dioxide emissions, uh, which is about as much carbon as five cars in uh, their, their lifetime. Uh, so, I mean, this sounds like kind of a, an easy fix, you know, getting the processor and memory together. But it, is it that easy? Like, why aren't we doing this now? Um, well, it's all about installed base, right? Uh, today, essentially, everything's used, um, uh, AI is being used through GPUs. And GPUs are power-hungry vehicles, and they've been u- used for the past you know, decade plus in doing a lot of the research. And they're great for that type of activity uh, because you can move things around and, and, and actually do um, different models pretty quickly. But when now you're saying, hey, I want to run this in earnest, that's when it becomes a big issue. As an example, you talked about ChatGPT earlier. To run ChatGPT for a month of January earlier this year, uh, the energy that was utilized would be the same as powering a town of 175,000 people for a month. In one month. In one month. Right. So this is this is the real issue that is going to uh, face us. You also talked about 
autonomous vehicles, EVs, right? But I, we can change that to autonomous vehicles. If the world moved 100% to autonomous vehicles today, the greenhouse impact uh, would be larger than the current uh, impact that the data centers have, all the data centers in the world, all the computers in the world put together. Because they all have to be connected with computers. Because they're all connected and they're all using this, you know, they're using this inefficient way of actual AI processing. And so you're burning energy for no reason, right? So this is the biggest challenge that we have to contend with. And putting processor and memory together alleviates it to a certain extent, but AI is is ever, ever evolving and will continue to push boundaries. And so we'll need to continue coming up with new ways of solving that that you know dilemma of energy usage for AI. I, I think of some of the the big uh, chip um, manufacturers, you know, like the Intel's of the world, uh, Nvidia. You know, people might not have heard of that company, but they're one of the biggest um, graphical. Um, processing unit, uh, you know, makers, uh, you know, even Apple is, is creating their own silicon. Um, how far are we away to this next move of getting these two components together, the, the, the processor and the memory? Like, it, are the big guys on this? Are they on it well, fast enough? Uh, they are not. And that's where startups come in. So Untether AI is a Toronto-based startup. And we have introduced our first uh, generation product already. I came out a year and a half ago with the processor and memory right next to each other. And we've been able to show that we get you know, an 8x to 20x or higher improvement in efficiency compared to the traditional um, you know, consumer um, makers of chips that you mentioned. And, and so we already have something that we are working with quite a few customers that enables them to say, yeah, we absolutely see this. In fact, we had one customer that said, hey, I have this this power budget that because I can't even get a chip from one of the other names that you mentioned uh, that can fit into that power profile, I'm just not going to deploy AI. And and when they looked at us, they go, wow, okay, now I can see an uh, energy efficient way to actually deploy what I need. And so I, I've now come up with a model that would not have been possible without, you know, the energy, the, the, the memory and the uh, uh, CPU or the processor right next to each other. So what, what are your next steps, Arun? I mean, you're a startup. You're not Intel or NVIDIA yet. <laughs> like, like, do you have working models of this? Like, how, how long does it take for you to develop and, and get something like this to market or to partner with a larger company, perhaps? Yeah, so the way we work is we provide uh, the chips, the semiconductors, and we work with our customers who then deploy their models. And our customers are the ones that are really seeing this problem of energy uh, pro- you know, issues. And so they end up utilizing our chips and we help them deploy their models on our chips, giving them the energy efficiency they're looking for. So it is it, uh, available today. It's, um, you know, we are shipping our semiconductor silicon uh, today, and we're already embarking on our second generation product which will increase the efficiency curve even better. So, so all of that is happening today. Can you make enough of these? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's, I mean, AI is advancing so rapidly. Yeah, that's, that is really the uh, big question, right? So the, the whole thing hap- uh, hinges upon the semiconductor availability. Now the supply crisis of 2022 is largely behind us. So for the most part, 
uh, you know, getting capacity to manufacture these semiconductors is less of a concern uh, than ever before. So I think as of now, th there is not a problem in, in manufacturing as many of these as required. So do you partner with some of the larger guys or are you still working that out? Uh, Intel is an investor in our company because they looked at us and they said, oh yeah, you have a very unique approach. And so we are, um, you know, we, we've got them as one of our key investors and they've continued to stay with us. So they've given us a lot of good advice in going after and we partner with them in a variety of different places. But then we also go out on our own. We have uh, General Motors that we have also uh, worked with. They're also an investor. And we're working with them on their next generation perception system for autonomous vehicles. Yeah, it's so interesting you say the autonomous vehicles because, you know, a lot of people when they think AI, they're just thinking like chat GPT. <laughs> like, that's kind of the big, big news story. But AI is just literally being incorporated into everything, like like you said, cars, which are just kind of blowing up right now as well. Absolutely. With AI, really the only thing that's a limiter is our imagination on where we can deploy it. You, you name it, it's going to get deployed there, right? It's going to be pervasive. We've been talking with uh, Arun uh, Iyengar. He is the CEO of Untether AI. It's a Toronto-based AI company, and uh, they are developing uh, some cool chip technology that will make AI more efficient when it comes to electricity. And it sounds like a, it's something that needs to happen sooner than later. Uh, Arun, is there somewhere people can go to find out more information about what you guys are doing? Sure. Well, we, you can visit our website. It's www.untether.ai, and you'll be able to see exactly what we're working on. Uh, we have a lot of uh, different components, uh, you know, different things that we've also put out there. So you can look, uh, we've done podcasts. And, and so there's lots of different places. So if you were to go online and just type in Untether uh, AI, you'll be able to uh, find us. Thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, good luck in solving this. Thank you, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with my good friend, Carmi Levy. Our next story, we'll, we'll cover a couple stories. Uh, one kind of goes way back, but this goes forward. This is every teenager's dream come true and probably every parent's nightmare. Fortnite, one of the most popular first-person shooter video games in the world, is now an Olympic eSport so you could get a gold medal for being a Fortnite top gamer. Uh, uh, uh. Well, the the gamers will inherit the earth, and this is you're right. This is what I dreamed of as a kid that I would be rewarded for playing games endlessly. Esports is really, I mean, esports. I think is that it's it's a multi billion dollar industry. It is increasingly respected. It is used as a conduit uh, into the the STEM. So science, technology, engineering, and math fields. Um, you know, you watch a, you watch a NASA launch, and and so many of the engineers who work on the rockets, both for NASA, for SpaceX, for Lockheed Martin, they will all say the same thing: that esports is an increasingly important component of you know the, the techies' life, of the nerds' life. This is what got them into the space. Uh, and so esports isn't just about it's not wasting time. It's it's really it's, it's a legitimate pursuit now. Uh, and so the Olympics, uh, they had the IOC, uh, the International Olympic Committee, they have something called the Olympic Esports Program. Uh, and uh, they have added Fortnite to the, the list of sports that are already in there. You can also do, if you're not into, into Fortnite, you can do Just Dance, Gran Turismo, car racing, Zwift, cycling. Uh, and you can even do web-based chess. 
so this is like this is serious. We're not going to be seeing them walk into the stadium and get up on the podium. That's still not there. Esports is still separate from the traditional sports that you would see at an Olympiad. Uh, but the fact that the ISC is sponsoring this, putting money behind it, getting sponsor, getting their own sponsorships to support it, um, shows very clearly that this stuff is serious. And the cool thing is. Uh, you and I, we can we can be part of it. If we're in Singapore in June, it's June 22nd to the 25th, um, we can buy a ticket, $7.50 for one day, $15 for two days to watch. We still have to pay our way to Singapore. Or we can watch it online on olympics.com or just follow the Olympic social media channels. They, they will be live streaming it. So this is going to be a global thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and apparently the, the best Fortnite players in the world uh, will be playing in a special Fortnite island uh, for the rights for, you know, to, 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 to basically say that they are, you know, the Olympic champion in Fortnite. Uh, imagine putting that on your resume and putting it on LinkedIn. I, I cannot, I will, I will, I will friend that person on LinkedIn when they announce it. How happy do you think Epic Games is the makers of Fortnite? (laughs) I think they, uh, I think they recognize, and I think very, uh, uh, savvily they negotiated the deal with the IOC. I think they, they, uh, they they recognize that gaming is uh, has expanded way beyond that original sort of assumption, you know, uh, teenage kids playing it in mom and dad's basement, something that you're not really proud of, uh, that these are all old assumptions that have since fallen by the wayside. And so I think Epic Games is, uh, is, is dancing ha- the happy dance right now because uh, this singular event, having the, the Olympics, no less, validate your game by including it in their roster of esports competitions uh it's you've arrived and and so now anyone who's associated with that, i would expect every other video game company to be fighting like mad to get included in this as it goes forward and i suspect we're at that early stage where it's been set up not everyone knows that it's around but it's going to start to build momentum in a few years we're probably going to see olympic esports being competed right alongside actual sports. Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time before that happens where you turn on watching the games from Paris and there are going to be video gamers there as well, right next to the athletes throwing javelins and uh, running the 100 meters. The times we live in. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's go back a bit now. Uh, a new movie coming to theaters, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, a very popular Marvel series uh, starring Chris Pratt. I think Bradley Cooper's in that as well. He plays a talking raccoon, Vin Diesel, uh, you know, the list goes on. A lot of stars in this. Uh, In an interesting twist here, one of the main characters, played by Chris Pratt, uh, uses a Zune MP3 player. This is Microsoft's kind of uh, competitor to the Apple iPod back in the day, and it's kind of seen a bit of resurgence because of that. And it looks like the International Space Station is even looking for a way to 3D print one up in space. So, you know, we forget that the ISS isn't just the, the largest satellite, the largest uh, space-based vehicle ever assembled by humankind. It is a U.S. national laboratory. So, uh, you know, and there are a number of national laboratories on the ground. But it's the only one in orbit. And so their mandate is to do research that you can only do in space and then, then you know, springboard off of that uh, to drive further opportunities back here on Earth. Um, and one of the things that they do is is 3D printing with or what they call additive manufacturing. There's a company, they're called Redwire. They're an aerospace manufacturer and they do 3D printing. They are they they have in fact have installed a 3D printer suite 
on the International Space Station. And so what they're doing is is they announced that uh, the Zune, because the Zune has been getting so much attention because of its connection to the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, um, they are, are in fact going to 3D print a copy of a Zune in space. And they're going to live stream it. They're going to share the experience with that, with everyone again to uh, sort of show people that, you know, this is a lab and this is what it can do. Get them excited about 3D printing. Get them excited about STEM careers. Um, make the connection between science fiction and science facts uh, and basically be uh, a, a, an increasingly relevant uh, uh, space and technology education source uh, for for the new generation. That that's the good news. The bad news is is uh, it's just a mock up. So there's no electronic capability. It won't be able to play music like that old Zoom that Zoom that may be sitting in your drawer. And I hope it is because it's worth a lot more now thanks to Chris Pratt. Um, and uh, and it also it's only a one off. They're only printing one, and they have no plans to restart production of Zoom. So if you're hoping to get your hands on an old Zoom, you're still going to have to go onto eBay or Facebook Marketplace to find one because um, they're not 3D printing an actual working one on the ISS. But uh, still really cool and still kind of a reminder that just because a, a you know a technology like Zoom obviously failed in in competition with the iPod. Um, but nostalgia is a very powerful thing. And there are, you, know, you, you ask people now, a lot of people have a Zoom story, perversely. They'll tell you about it. And, uh, and this just reminds us that you know, not all technology deserves to be forgotten. Sometimes it's fun to go back and have some fun with it. We are at the end of Get Connected. Uh, once again, Carmi, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Thank you. I'm always such a great time to be here. I appreciate it always. Well, if you want to hear more of us, uh, we do have a sister show. It's called The App Show. It's on every Sunday on the Chorus Radio Network. And we've got a great program uh, tomorrow if you want to tune in. You can also uh, check us out. Uh, we're a podcast, so you can go to your favorite podcast uh, place, Spotify, Apple Music, Curious Cast. On uh, The App Show tomorrow, we'll be talking about the latest uh, Google announcement. There's a folding Google phone. We'll tell you all about that. And Vietnam cracking down on anonymous social media accounts. Could that work here? Well, we'll uh, dive into that. That's all the time we have left. Mike and Carmi signing off. We'll see you again next time.